to anybody here? Or have you actually brought your Bibles? That's good. That's good. All right. <coughs> Just saying that, sometimes we can get out of the habit of bringing Bibles to church. It's not a law, all right, but I think it's, it's a good thing to do because it just demonstrates where the foundation of our faith is. You know, we, we base our faith and conduct and everything uh, on the Word of God. So it's good to bring it. Sometimes we put it up on the screen and sometimes I read it from here and whatever. So, uh, but nevertheless, it's a good thing to do, isn't it? Okay, as uh, David said, we're looking at Abraham. If you'd like to turn to... Um, Genesis chapter 12, and it's Abraham's call. Abraham's call. Um, just by way of introduction, Abraham was the first of what was known as the patriarchs. A patriarch is the male head of a family, and he was the father of the Jews. Uh, incidentally, his father of the Arabs as well, and um, that Muslims uh, revere him greatly as a, uh, as a super prophet. Uh, so he's the father of many peoples, but we're concerned about him as the father of the Jews. And uh, his story, the story of Abraham, takes up quite a lot of space in um, the book of Genesis. And he's referred to frequently throughout the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. And he starts off life with the name Abram. And uh, later, God changes his name to Abraham in the same way that God changes his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. And this is when God makes a covenant with him. Now, rather than switch back and forward to Abram and Abraham, I think most of the time I'm going to refer to Abraham, okay? Because the New Testament tends to do that. Um, but we will read the name Abraham in the, in the scriptures as we, as we go through. Um, by the time of Jesus, um, the Jews had a great deal of confidence in their heritage. And um, they took their spiritual standing as because they were sons of Abraham. Uh, it seemed to, to trump everything. You know, Jesus would challenge them and they say, but we are sons of Abraham. Abraham is our father. Both John the Baptist and Jesus had some harsh things to say about them in as much as they were not um, following the faith of their father Abraham. Otherwise, they would have recognized Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at various incidents uh, in the life of Abraham and we will soon discover that he's a flawed man. Uh, that he has weaknesses uh, just like us. And he's not celebrated in the Bible uh, because of his great character or his achievements, but because of his faith. This is why we need to look at Abraham, because of his faith. He simply believed God and acted accordingly. So um, why are we interested in him? Well, we can certainly learn something from his mistakes, but I also hope that we'll be inspired by his faith. And uh, most importantly, though, we can get to know the God of Abraham, um, the God of Abraham, and how in his sovereign grace he achieves his purposes um, through the most unlikely people, through Abraham and through you and me. God accomplishes his purposes because he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. 
He's the sovereign God. This morning we're going to look at how God enlists Abraham uh, for the purpose um, of um, bringing about a family for his purposes. And he makes some astounding, sorry, astounding promises uh, that are being fulfilled in our lives. He makes promises to Abraham. So this is not a history lesson. I hope it's a more his story lesson rather than a history lesson. And um, we'll see as wonderfully as God drew Abraham into his story because the Bible is God's story. It's not our story. It's not primarily about people. It's about God and how he is painting the picture of his story uh, for the world and for the nations and how he draws people in. And like Abraham, he draws us in. Through God's encounter with Abraham, he announces his plan to redeem the whole world through a family, a plan that started with one man and his wife who at, at that point did not know God. He had no knowledge of God whatsoever and um, we actually find that he and his wife were idol worshippers and they lived in a land that we now call Iraq. So Abraham's call, let's look at Genesis 12 and uh, the first nine verses. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. And there, and at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham, said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on still going toward the Negev. What we see is that Abraham was an unlikely choice for someone to be the head of a great nation for God. I've already said he was an idolater. Um, he also, if you know the stories of Abraham, he was, had a tendency to lie when he got in a tight spot. When he was pushed into a corner, uh, he didn't tell the truth. And uh, he was 75 years old and his wife was 65. And she was barren. She'd always been barren. And he's only too aware of this human disqualification. And he remonstrates with God over the unlikely fulfillment of his promise. If you look in chapter 15, the first six verses. After these things, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, 
your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I think he was a servant. And Abraham said, Behold, sorry, Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, and you will be, a be able, to, so if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That is a key statement. It's a key verse. He believed the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. And later on we'll see that God, in um, making this agreement, as it were, with Abraham, was foretelling the gospel. He was preaching the gospel because righteousness comes by faith and no other means. Righteousness with God comes by faith. And so he was announcing the gospel uh, here uh, to Abraham. Abraham believed God, yet it was 25 years uh, later uh, that that promise from the time he first spoke to Abraham until that promise was fulfilled and Isaac was born. And the Apostle Paul comments on this in his letter to the Romans. He says, in hope, this is Abraham, in hope he believed against hope. Naturally, there was no way that Abraham and Sarah were going to be the, the parents of a great nation for God. There was nothing natural about it whatsoever. Nevertheless, against all hope, he hoped that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. There's that statement again. It's very key. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So it begs the question, really, how did God speak to Abraham? How did he speak to him? Later we know that God spoke to Abraham in a vision. We're told that specifically. And later still, three men uh, came and uh, engaged with Abraham and we take those men uh, to be angels. Abraham recognized them as, being, as having the word of God. But what about this first occasion? I, I wonder, do you find it frustrating when you hear in the Bible that God spoke to someone and you think, how did he speak to him? How was it? Did he, did he hear an audible voice? And uh, it can be quite frustrating. And all we get from the scripture here is now the Lord spoke to Abraham. Actually, I've come to realize it doesn't matter how God spoke to him, uh, how he called him. Uh, the important thing is that Abraham recognized it as a call 
from God, a call from Almighty God who he previously had not known and he recognized that he had the power to fulfill his promise and the faithfulness that he would fulfill his promise. So he trusted in God's power and God's faithfulness. The promises made to Abraham were that through his offspring the nations of the earth would be blessed and the Apostle Paul tells us that Christ is that ultimate offspring. He is the heir. He is the seed through whom all the nations of the earth can be blessed. And so we can see it better than Abraham. We can see how now the nations are being blessed uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone can enjoy the blessings and inherit the promises given to Abraham through faith in Jesus. Peter told his hearers on the day of Pentecost, you remember when the Holy Spirit was first poured out upon the church, he said that this blessing, this blessing of salvation and the Holy Spirit was, would be given to anyone that the Lord calls to himself. Right? As many as the Lord our God shall call. It's those that God calls to himself. So just as God called Abraham to himself, so he calls others to himself. As God called Abraham to participate in his plan for redeeming the world, so he calls us. God calls us. We find similar phrases in the New Testament about being Christians or those who are called. We get called according to his purpose. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So Christians are those who have been called out of darkness into God's light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the Bible assumes that every Christian is called. Do you believe you were called? Do you believe God called you? I mean, you might say, well, how was I called? How, how did God, I don't think God spoke to me like he spoke to Abraham. Well, we've already decided we don't know how God spoke to Abraham. But the, the issue is not how, but the fact that it happened. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that call to follow Jesus, to submit to him as Lord and Saviour, and to live our lives in according to, to his purposes, that call came to us by one means, and that is the gospel. The gospel is the call to us. All right? God calls us through uh, the gospel. And Paul tells the Thessalonians this fact. He says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. That's the first people in history, if you like, who would be saved through faith in Jesus, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we were called through the gospel. It's through the gospel, which is good news, the message of salvation, that God calls us. Now, if we were each to give our testimony as to how we became Christians, it would be different. There may be some similarities, but it would be different. And... Uh, 
the, the fact of the matter is, however different it is, there is only one way that God calls us and through the gospel. It might be that we've been on an alpha course and over a period of time we've come to realise our need of salvation and given our lives to Jesus. Or it might be a scrap of the Bible that somebody picks up but it's still the gospel. It, that there's only one gospel. That's the only way that God actually calls us. And it's through the gospel that we discover that we cannot save ourselves and that God is offering us the free gift of eternal life through faith in his Son. When we receive Jesus as Saviour and give our lives to follow him, we, just like Abraham, are putting all our eggs in one basket. Abraham gave up everything to follow the Lord. Um, he, took, he risked taking some of his family and household and goods and so on, leaving the familiar to go to the unfamiliar. He risked everything. He put all his trust in God. And we do the same. Uh, we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. It isn't Jesus plus something else that saves us. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the fact that there were those Christians who were bit trying to be persuaded to be circumcised uh, because there were those who said it's Jesus plus the law. You need the law as well as Jesus. But it isn't. It's Jesus only. It's only through faith in him that we're saved. So we are those who put our, all, all our eggs in one basket, all right? And, and that's Jesus Christ. We are placing our future, our eternity, uh, into the hands of Jesus, believing that our sins have actually been dealt with. They were dealt with. They were, the price was paid. Jesus play, paid the punish, punishment for us. And that one day we will stand before God completely free from accusation and condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because we put our faith in Jesus. All our eggs are in that basket. Paul tells us that in this we have a special link with Abraham. We are linked to Abraham. Indeed, the Bible says that we are sons and daughters of Abraham who, like us, entirely trusted himself to God. This is what he says to the Galatians, Paul says, Now then, that it is those, no then, sorry, that is, is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Remember, that's what we said earlier, that the gospel was preached because Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We believe God about the, the promises that he gives us regarding Jesus and it's counted to him as righteousness. Saying to him, In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And a bit later he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor free female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And it is you, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He's talking about those who are of faith. It's not any faith. It's not faith saying, well, it'll all be all right in the end. God's going to make it all right in the end and in the end everybody will get to heaven and so on. 
It's not, that, it's not any kind of faith. It's saving faith. It's faith entirely in the finished work uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well then, when God looks for people to join his family to be part of the glorious future that he has planned, he does not, as we might do, look for the rich, the influential, the talented, the superstars, the very clever people, although none of these are necessarily ex uh, excluded. But God, um, like Abraham, he chooses the unlikely, the nobodies, uh, the unqualified, to call into fellowship with himself. Now we may get excited a bit when celebrities become Christians. You know what it is, have you heard? Cliff Richards become a Christian or somebody else, you know. Tim Vine's a Christian, did you know that? We get excited about it and sometimes we tell our non-Christian friends, of course Tim Vine's a Christian or Cliff Richards a Christian with the hope that we're going to persuade them that it's a good thing to be a Christian. Do you identify with that? Do we? I think we get excited, don't we, when these celebrities become Christians. Now, I'm not knocking that, and I'm sure they have a part to play in God's kingdom. But that's generally not the way God looks at it. That's not the way he does. He doesn't look at it like that. He's looking for those who have no confidence in themselves, who are not necessarily great achievers in the world, but those who will believe his promises and trust him. That's the key, right? It's not our earthly prestige or whatever it is. It, the key is that we believe his promises and trust him. Paul points this out to the Corinthians. He says, for consider your calling. There's that word again, calling. We've been called. Your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. We know that, that, that key verse in Ephesians. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Not by works, so that no one will boast. God will not have it that we earn our way to heaven. He won't have it that way. It's a free gift, and it's a free gift that we receive by faith. I remember some years ago, uh, I think it was at the Downs Bible, we go back that far, Terry Virgo was preaching on this passage about um, you know, God chooses the weak and the foolish things and the things that are not and so on uh, to, to draw into his kingdom. And on the platform, there are a number of other leaders. And as Terry moved on from this point, he, he just made the point that he said, um, when I was at grammar school, and one of the guys on this platform said, cool, you're lucky to be here, aren't you? <laughs> if you get the point. <laughs> so Abraham is a picture of faith in action as well. We see that Abraham not only believed that God would make him the father of a great nation, but he was prepared to leave all that was safe and familiar and secure and go on an adventure with God. That's what he was doing. He was going on an adventure with God. He left part of his family, Scripture said, his father's household. He left his idol-worshipping community and set out not knowing where he was going. But now... He had a relationship with God. 
He didn't have one before, but now he has a relationship with God and he's prepared to trust God. And he ceased to be an idol worshipper, is now a worshipper of the living God. Uh, and uh, we read um, in the scripture there that Abraham built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. If you know the stories of Abraham, as you read um, through Genesis, it seems wherever he stopped, wherever they made a camp, because he's a nomad now, living in tents, wherever they stopped, Abraham built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. He was determined to pursue his faith and his religion, if you like, now through the true and living God. When God calls us by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and by faith we receive God's free gift of righteousness, that call includes the command to repent. We, that is the call. That was the first thing that Jesus said. John the Baptist was calling people to repentance. The very first words that we have recorded of Jesus when he starts his ministry is repent before the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is turning, turning from and leaving behind those things that are now not consistent with the new life that God has given us, the new life that we've received. For Abraham, it meant leaving his family and the idol-worshipping community. There are things that we may need to abandon. Um, we may need to abandon or moderate an obsession for earthly things that dominate our thinking, our time, and our money, that we are actually worshippers of materialism, perhaps. Or it might be that we need to abandon immoral lifestyle. Now, when I was growing up, most people knew what was right and wrong and what was an immoral lifestyle. That's not true today, because there are many people who are living in a way that they don't think is at all immoral. But according to God's standards, it is. And when we become believers, um, we may have to, well, we would have to leave that behind at some point. We may have to leave behind unwholesome talk. I know that was the first thing that struck me. I was an apprentice when I became a believer working in a factory and I used to swear along with all the other lads. Uh, okay, and um, the, uh, uh, I, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be with the in crowd, as it were. And, uh, and so I used to swear at work. But I very quickly realised that this was not in keeping um, with what God had now called me to. Nobody told me I shouldn't swear, but I just knew that. I knew that was right. And with God's help, I stopped that. And or it may be our tendency to gossip. You, you may find in the scriptures that some of the things that we're told about that are not proper for the people of God are ordinary things like gossip. Okay? Because gossip is so destructive. It pulls down people's character. Or it may be something that is good and legitimate. It may be very legitimate for other Christians, but it's not what God is calling us to. You know, there's often a special calling on our lives that God calls us to. And it's no good saying, well, it's okay for them, they're Christians, but what is God calling you to? And it may be to leave something that's quite good uh, and, and wholesome. Um, it may be uh, that there are, well, certainly there are those who've left a good job and much security in order to follow the Lord, like Fred and Iris, as Iris told us um, a couple of weeks ago, and that how in that God has provided for them uh, and proved himself faithful. 
But we need to ask that question. What is God calling me out from? We're called out of darkness. We're called to be on a, a mission with God. We're called to be on an adventure uh, with God. So when we come to Jesus, we're not just coming to have our sins forgiven and to escape hell. That's a good thing anyway, isn't it? But we're coming to join him in a great adventure which will culminate in seeing him face to face. We'll see him face to face and be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says about Abraham. This is in chapter 11 where we have this great list of so-called heroes of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he called to go out. He was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We are also looking forward to a city in the new heavens and the new earth. We are looking for a city whose foundations and designer is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past that age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So then, in conclusion, God spoke to Abraham and called him out of darkness into the wonderful light of fellowship with himself. God called him to be a worshipper and gave him wonderful promises of future blessing for him and his family for generations to come. And that blessing has been passed down to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But what about us? God has spoken to us through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and called us also to come out of darkness into his marvellous light and into the kingdom of his Son. I want to say to you that the promises we have in Christ are better than the promises that Abraham had. Abraham was told that he'd be the father of a nation, that they would occupy and, and, and have a piece of land. We are told that we will inherit the earth. Right? The meek will inherit the earth. And uh, the, the tremendous promises that God has given us for eternal life. We are heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. God has given us better promises than he gave to Abraham. God speaking to the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament cannot be compared to God speaking now through his son. It was great, and we might think, again, how did God speak? Well, God has spoken to his son. If you can think back to February when John Hosier was with us, on the, if you came to the meeting on the Sunday evening, uh, John took the first chapter of Hebrews and ask this question, does it concern you that you may feel you haven't heard from God? And then he uh, expounded on this first chapter of Hebrews the fact that God has spoken to us by his Son. And that is the supreme revelation that anyone can have, that God speaks to us through the Son of God. I'm going to finish with reading these words from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, 
God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. Abraham was considered a prophet. But in these last days, that's now, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God spoke to Abraham, told him he would be the father of a great nation and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We are the fruit of that because the seed to which God was referring was the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the fruit of the promise to Abraham. But we have better promises that we can rejoice in, that God has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Let us rejoice that we have a God who speaks and that God has spoken to us and that we can follow him in this great adventure that he's called us to. Let's pray. Would um, somebody like to go and get Steve because we're going to sing a, a, a song at the end. Thank you. We'll just pray while that's happening. Thank you.